Thanks for listening to the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. You can contact the show at twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast and through Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. Good evening. I am warning you right now, if you touch my drums, I will stab you in the neck with a knife. Ain't a book. Ain't a book. Mom! Take it easy. Lower it. I'm not going to lower it. I have to do this now. I don't mind you playing it, but lower it. Are we going to straighten out? No, we had a problem. I mean, uh, we tried to do everything we could. What do you mean? Well, you know what I mean. Next. Little trouble there. You're rushing. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Yeah. Hello, denizens of Groove Castistan. How are you doing this week? Happy Monday to all. Before we dive on into the podcast this week, I want to go ahead and remind everyone that yes, we are coming up on week 52, the one year anniversary of the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast, the little podcast that could, the podcast where the rubber meets the road, the podcast where we do all the musical heavy lifting. Well, anyway, some of the heavy lifting. Um, But I wanted to remind everyone that it's time to win free drums. And in accordance with our one-year anniversary, we are partnering with the wonderful Monk Drum Company. Just head on over to their website, monkdrums.com, and we are giving away not one but two grand prizes for our one-year anniversary. And what we're giving away is a 10-inch original Monk drum and a set of Monk drum bongos. Um, To register, all you have to do is head on over to iTunes, go to our Drummer's Weekly Groovecast page, and leave us a short written review, and you will be entered to win one of those two prizes. We're going to be drawing live on Facebook During the week of our 52nd episode, our one-year anniversary, we'll give you plenty of time and plenty of heads up on the exact date and time. We'll be posting that both on our Twitter and our Facebook account, and we'll also talk about it on upcoming episodes. But uh, head on over to iTunes, leave us a short written review. That's important. It has to be written so that we'll have your iTunes handle. We'll draw some names there in that 52nd week, and voila! We will have some winners. All right. Onward and upward. We'll see you on the other end of the show. Hello everyone, Phil here from the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. I hope your week is getting started off well. Um, Our show for this week is going to be one of our special educational editions. Now, I thought about that a little bit, and I've uh, thought back that, you know, virtually all of our shows have some kind of educational component, and yes, that is correct. But this one is going to be almost like a teaching segment. So that's why we've deemed it a special educational edition of the show. Um, It's going to deal with a topic 
that I have been thinking about and have been compiling information about for quite some time. And that topic is signature and definitive grooves. Now, some of you are probably saying, well, most songs have a definitive groove. Well, that's true, but I'm going to explain this topic a little bit better momentarily. But what I'm planning on doing for this show is to take these individual songs, explain a little bit about the history of the songs and naturally where the beats or these grooves, where they come from, maybe even explain the beat itself a little bit, and then take some audio examples and play them immediately afterwards so you can actually hear the groove that we're talking about if you're not familiar with them. Hopefully it will spur you to uh, do a little bit of research on your own and and hear the, the full versions. So now let me go ahead and define what we're talking about when we say songs that have signature and or definitive grooves, okay? We're going to be talking about songs that have grooves that are not of the normal variety. In other words, we want to consider these grooves, grooves that are specialized to these songs. Now, later on in musical history, they might have been used in other songs, but we want to make sure that these these grooves are generally specialized for this particular song or originated with this song and then were used in other capacities afterward. Okay, so let me give you an example of what we're not looking for. A song like Home at Last from Steely Dan, that uses the Purdy halftime shuffle. Well, that shuffle is a wonderful groove and sounds like a million bucks on that song and on several other songs. But that groove was not exclusive or written in particular for that song. For example, you could also take uh, a standard like Nika's Dream by Horace Silver, which has got a great Latin mambo influence groove and then goes to swing. Well, again, it's a great groove and Roy Brooks plays it like crazy on the original. But again, those type of feels are were not originated for that song. And finally, the last part of this criteria for defining, for our purposes, these definitive and signature grooves is going to be the song should be popular and familiar enough that you would have to play it in a normal performance style situation. I'm certainly aware that there's plenty of esoteric music out there that have got these incredibly creative and definitive grooves, but... If the only time that material has ever been played is on the recording that you own, then it really is not quite as applicable as these other songs that we're going to talk about. Because these other songs we're going to talk about are even many times referenced back when someone's writing a uh, uh, material and they will say, hey, I would like a groove like this drummer played on this definitive track. So hopefully that will clarify things a little bit and I'm sure as we start going through and start naming these different songs and hearing these examples it will be even a little bit clearer 
Okay, so let's go ahead and start with our list of definitive songs. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about was originally composed by Louis Prima. It was popularized, though, by the Benny Goodman Orchestra in 1936 during the Big Band era. Uh, it was a tune called Sing, 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 and our definitive groove was played by Gene Krupa. Um, if you're not really aware of Gene Krupa, he was one of the first major stars um, on drum set. He's still lauded as one of the great creators, one of the great drummers of all time. Uh, and during that period of time, big bands, and when we talk about big bands here, for those who are not aware of what that is, we're talking about these large orchestras generally in the ballpark of 15 to 17 pieces with a full brass section consisting of trombones and trumpets, woodwind sections um, uh, con uh, consisting of saxophones, and then a full rhythm section of bass, drums, piano, sometimes guitar, and then a lot of times you also had a vocalist or two that might perform out front. All right, so again, the tune was Sing, 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 and it coined a specific phrase uh, that you will still hear from time to time regarding the groove that Krupa played. Uh, and that term is called jungle drums, which is essentially, as you will hear, a, a groove played on large tom-toms. And that's what set up and gave this song its signature and definitive groove. Now, throughout the rest of the song, there are times where the melody and solos are played with a traditional swing feel, which was sort of the popular feel of the time. But what we're really going to cue in on this song are those jungle drums, that tom-tom feel. It should also be known that during this time, uh, not only this feel, but the swing feel was the popular dance groove of the day as well. So you had a lot of uh, ballroom dancers that... Uh, either came up with or adapted dance steps uh, to this drum feel that we're going to play. So let's go ahead and listen to a couple of excerpts of Sing 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 with Gene Krupa on drums. mentioning that this style of music and that particular drum groove were highly instrumental in a resurgence in this jump swing style of uh, dancing and, and performing back in the late 90s as well. So once again, hats off to Gene Krupa and his jungle drums on Sing Sing Sing. Okay, we'll move to our second song on the list. And this song 
we'll have to jump about 20 or so years into the future, into the year of 1958, and the song is entitled Poinciana. Now, this song was not written in 1958. It's actually an old pop tune from the 1930s that was played and popularized in big bands and essentially became standard material. Now, the definitive groove for this song was not created, though, until Vernel Fournier, the drummer from the Ahmad Jamal Trio, played it in the late 1950s. The version that we're going to listen to is from the Amajmal Trio's album Live at the Pershing. And what you're going to notice is you're going to hear, again, a definitive groove that was never really captured before, and especially not captured before on this type of song. Vernel Fournier was a New Orleans-born drummer who basically took a New Orleans-inspired parade groove and voiced it on the drum set using a traditional drumstick in his left hand and a mallet or almost like a timpani stick in his right hand. You'll notice when you hear the example that he will alternate between playing the right-hand mallet on a snare drum with no snares and the tom-toms. You'll notice with the left hand, the first part of the groove that we'll hear, he will be playing a closed hi-hat with his left hand, and then later on he will move over to playing the bell with his left hand. And essentially what you're getting is you're getting that right hand kind of mimicking that New Orleans parade bass drum, and then you'll get the left hand playing the cymbal, uh, almost like uh, if you've seen the guys play the coat hanger, on a cymbal where you get the real high-pitched ting uh, that kind of goes against that bass drum rhythm. So, all right, let's go ahead and give a listen to Vernel Fournier and the Ahmad Jamal Trio playing Poinciana. <laughs> Something else that's absolutely worth uh, mentioning regarding this uh, song in this particular groove is that when you heard that second half where Vernell went with the left hand on the bell of the cymbal, you notice that the right hand was playing a significantly different pattern between that uh, floor tom and snare drum with the snares off. That was not by accident, and it was not improvised either. 
it's my understanding that as the song progressed and we went from chorus to chorus on that song, Vernell and the trio uh, designated specific grooves to kind of grow and build the song as it went through. So uh, give that a listen. Again, that's uh, a Mod Jamal trio live at the Pershing. The song is Poinciana. The drummer is Vernell Fournier. Moving on, we are going to go ahead and address our third song of the show. And we are also going to move forward into a new style of music. We're going to get our first taste of rock and roll in its earliest forms. And chronologically, we're actually going to jump back about three years as well to the year 1955. Uh, The song in question is the original Bo Diddley song recorded by, of course, Bo Diddley. We have uh, Frank Kirkland on drums, and one of the things that you will notice is that even though this is an early rock and roll song, it doesn't necessarily borrow from those early rock and roll grooves that we're familiar with, with uh, Chuck Berry and Fats Domino and Elvis, etc., etc. This actually is going to borrow from the Latin playbook with a little bit of influence from the jungle drum side of Gene Krupa because this groove is primarily played on tom-toms. Now, what you'll notice for the folks who are educated in the Latin nomenclature of grooves, this tom groove is going to use the 3-2 sewn clave feel, or at least the accent pattern throughout its groove. All right. Now, this is another one of these songs that's referenced quite readily by other musicians that would say, hey, we want to get a Bo Diddley feel on this. We want to try to get a Bo Diddley Tom groove going on this. And we even have on record Jeff Percaro saying that he used this particular rhythm on the kick drum for the Rosanna groove. And for those of you not familiar with the Rosanna groove or living under a rock, the Rosanna groove is essentially a halftime shuffle feel that has the Bo Diddley bass drum or has the Bo Diddley tom pattern voiced on his bass drum. So let's go ahead and listen to a little bit of Bo Diddley, 1955, with Frank Kirkland on the drums. a heck of a maraca track as well, isn't it? Uh, I guess you can say that it owes even more uh, to the Latin genre than once thought before. But anyway, that is uh, Bo Diddley, Frank Kirkland on drums, 1955. We are up to number four on our list of signature and definitive grooves. This time we are going to hang tight in the rock and roll genre, but we're going to branch off into a subgenre. We're also going to jump ahead a few years to 1963, and we're going to put our feet squarely into the surf music phenomenon at that time. And I can already see you guys shaking your heads because you've been requested to play it time and time again. But then again, 
that certainly speaks to what we're trying to do here. We're trying to talk about these songs that have these definitive and signature grooves that people know and that you will be asked to play from time to time. So, the song in question is the 1963 hit by the Safaris. You guessed it, Wipeout with Ron Wilson on drums. Um, Another song that, again, owes its roots to the Tom-driven grooves of Gene Krupa. And you could also even say Bo Diddley as well, or Frank Kirkland playing on Bo Diddley's groove. Uh, This song is a 12-bar blues, and we generally think of this style of surf music as being guitar-driven, don't we? Well, it normally is, but in this case, it is not. There's certainly some great guitar on there, but this is all Ron Wilson all day long. So we're going to play an excerpt of that here in a few minutes. Um, And we also want to mention that there was a re-record or or a re-release of this in 1970 with the drummer Sandy Nelson recording it. He even made it a little more drummy. Uh, The song sped up a little bit, and and it's even more of a drum solo feature. All right. So without any further delay, here's Ron Wilson with Wipeout. don't know how accurate this part is, but I think it's worth throwing out there that lore has it that that actual tom-tom rhythm that Wilson played on there was actually a sped-up derivative of his high school marching drum line. So, I don't know. It makes for a good story, if nothing else, right? Okay, onward and upward. We are at track number five. And track number five is a bit of an interesting case. Um, It's another New Orleans song with another New Orleans-based drummer. And it's also another song that has a good bit of Latin influence in it. Uh, The song we're talking about is an Earl King composition that was popularized in 1964 by Professor Longhair. The drummer we're going to be listening to is Smokey Johnson. And the song is called Big Chief. Uh, This song kind of had a resurgence in popularity several years ago because uh, it was actually used on a couple of very uh, popular commercials. Um, So if you're not familiar with this song originally for its original purposes, maybe you remember it back when it was part of uh, American commercials. So a couple things to notice about this is that Smokey Johnson, he plays a very syncopated rhythm between snare drum, bass drum, and the side of a floor tom. Essentially what he did was he took the floor tom, turned it over on its side, and took a stick and played the actual shell of the drum. 
Um, and since we're talking about Latin, uh, we would call that coscara, which is essentially this means the side of the shell. So he plays eighth notes on the side of the, the drum shell instead of playing it on ride cymbal or on hi-hat. And just as a side note as well, uh, Smokey Johnson had written that he had overdubbed a, a secondary track on this song where he had a specialized pair of drumsticks where he had nailed several bottle caps onto it to give sort of a tambourine-ish jingle sort of sound. Kind of hard to hear it a little bit, but at least he said he did it. So let's go ahead and give a listen to Professor Long here with the wonderful Smokey Johnson on drums playing Big Chief. As we move on to our next song on the list, we are not leaving New Orleans yet. Isn't that kind of interesting? We've done uh, six songs so far, and this is our third New Orleans drummer. And this New Orleans drummer was part of the great funk band The Meters, and yes, we are talking about Zigaboo Modaliste. Um, the song in particular is the 1969 hit Sissy Strut. Um, I think most you folks are probably uh, pretty aware of this and are definitely aware of Zigaboo Modaliste and his greatness and his inventiveness and that dirty, slinky, New Orleans, funky groove, nice behind-the-beat kind of feel. Um, something that's kind of unique about this song, and again, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for things that are signature, definitive grooves that are... Uh, definitely exclusive to these tunes. Um, this has a very linear type of non-traditional uh, groove to it. In other words, we're not playing just traditional eighth note ride patterns or hi-hat patterns or just two and four on the snare. It's got a signature linear style groove. And also, if you folks see this thing written out, if you see this uh, groove notated, which you can find it all over the internet. I want you to make sure to realize that uh, Modaliste played this pattern with two hands on the hi-hat. It's not just the right hand playing the, the notes on the hi-hat with the left hand playing the snare drum beats. Um, you can find, again, like I said, a transcription of that. And you can also find several videos of Modaliste playing this, uh, this groove on YouTube. All right, a couple of other interesting things about this is that um, you'll notice that he uses a very tightly tuned, ringy snare drum. It's very much like what you would hear a modern-day Steve Jordan playing. And another thing that kind of makes it unique is that you didn't hear that quite as much in the 60s. It wasn't quite as... Uh, quite as prevalent as it is these days. Uh, there was a, quite a bit of muffling a lot of times on uh, on rock and pop and funk drums. Um, and so that 
that ringy snare drum certainly adds to the vibe of this tune. So let's listen to a few bars of uh, Sissy Strut. move on to our next uh, song I think it's worth mentioning that um, when Sissy Strut goes to the bridge or I guess you could call it the chorus section of this uh, song notice that uh, Modaliste moves over to a really syncopated snare drum type of groove not necessarily a march not necessarily a, a parade groove but I think it's kind of interesting to note that uh He's probably borrowing some uh, semblances from his New Orleans heritage and that style of, of parade drumming to uh, carry out that, that bridge-style groove on snare drum. All right, so moving on, and now for something very different. We are going to cross the pond. We are going to talk about the British invasion. And uh, the drummer in question here is some guy you've probably never heard of named Ringo Starr. One thing interesting about Ringo was that in the little old group that he was a part of called the Beatles, um, he was given a good bit of creative license to come up with certain uh, and several types of signature grooves. The song that we're going to talk about today, though, I'm going to consider it his most signature style groove. Um, it's a song from 1969, probably roughly around the same time that Sissy Strutt was, uh, was released. It was written by John Lennon. It's called Come Together. One of the interesting parts about this groove is that Ringo basically mimics the bass and keyboard lines um, for the intro and the main riff of this groove. And then even when he goes to, and I'm using my air quotes here on this, his traditional grooves on this where he's playing like a, a tom groove on the uh, verse and then just a two and four snare style groove on the choruses, they're non-traditional traditional grooves. He uses what I would call on those verses a very dependent style of tom and bass drum playing on the verses. And then when he goes to the two and four snare groove on the choruses, there's no hi-hat. It's just bass on one and three, snare on two and four. Um, something else that's kind of unique about this is that if you'll notice, the drums are extremely muffled and articulate on this. And it's probably because... Um, the, the main riff that Ringo plays is pretty noty. And since it's right on top of that bass and keyboard figure, articulation was of paramount importance on this. So let's go ahead and listen to a few bars of Come Together. Sure. 
As you can tell from this short audio clip, Ringo had a tremendous way of making these non-traditional grooves just feel great. And notice that I said Ringo, not Paul. He didn't play drums on this, and it certainly wasn't Bernard Purdy. Ringo. Yeah, he had several uh, different non-traditional grooves that he played on certain Beatles songs like In My Life and Ticket to Ride, and there's many others uh, that we could have possibly included on this list, but I think this one song in particular probably fits the bill for our criteria better than the others. As we move on to our eighth song on the list, we're going to come back across the pond to the U.S., and we're going to land in the burgeoning New York studio scene of the mid-70s. Some of you folks that are drum historians are going through your drumming Rolodex studio greats, and you're going, well, it could be this guy, it could be that guy, it could be this guy. Well, it's going to land on the guy that most of you are thinking about and probably were waiting on this song to come along. Uh, we're talking about the 1975 song by Paul Simon, with the wonderful Steve Gadd on drums. Let's call him Dr. Steve Gadd. That's his title these days. Dr. Steve Gadd on drums. The song is 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. If there's ever been a signature and definitive groove on a song, this might be the most signature and the most definitive. Uh, lore has it that Gadd was warming up prior to the session, and Paul Simon really didn't have a idea for what he wanted on this song other than he wanted something a little bit different. And I think most people realize that Gad came from a strong rudimental and military background, and he was warming up on a little snare drum and hi-hat cadence type thing, and Paul Simon heard that and said, hey, let's give it a try, see if we can adapt this song to that groove, and it certainly worked out. Now, just a couple things about the groove in particular. Um, you'll note, and you can, again, find many different uh, videos of Gad playing this online. So make sure you look for his videos. And you can also see plenty of transcriptions uh, of this groove as well. You'll note that Gad plays this with an open-handed approach where he's, of course, playing both hands on the snare drum, but when his hand does move over to the hi-hat, he's using his left hand on the hi-hat, and then the right hand will travel over to the floor tom to play the floor tom notes when they are executed. Um, it's a very noty, very militaristic parade, very march-style groove, but when you put that in the hands of someone like Steve Gadd, it is going to groove like crazy. So let's give a listen to 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Ways to leave your lover. 
She said it's really not my habit to intrude Furthermore, I hope my meaning won't be lost or misconstrued But I'll repeat myself At the risk of being crude There must be 50 ways to leave your lover 50 ways to leave your lover You just slip out the back, Jack Make a new plan, Stan You don't need to be coy, Roy Just get yourself free Hop on the bus I let that uh, song play all the way into the chorus for a specific reason. You'll notice that after having that very kind of eccentric, incredibly different groove that Gad came up with for the intros and the cor- and the verses, uh, they went straight to a disco groove when it got to the chorus. I'm sure that the producer was in there playing give and take with those guys going, yeah, I'll let you guys have your little dalliance on these verses, but when we get to the chorus, we got to bring home the bacon because in 1975 we were at the forefront of the disco movement which was of course huge in the new york area and steve gadd played on a ton of those uh, disco hits back in the day as well so just a side note there on that uh we move on to our next song we're going to stay in new york we'll jump a couple years ahead and we are going to talk about uh, a song written in 1977 by billy joel uh, it's got Liberty DeVito on drums, and it's entitled Just the Way You Are. Now, a couple of things that's different about this that we haven't encountered yet on our list is we're going to call this song a medium ballad. And a lot of times we don't think in terms of these drum tunes with you know signature grooves as ballads. We think of these things that have got some meat to it, preferably even fast. Well, This one may not have a whole lot of chops-driven, meaty drum parts, especially compared to, like, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Uh, But it is unique in the way that it is approached. Uh, Liberty DeVito plays this groove with a drumstick in his left hand and a brush in his right hand. And he approaches this groove using a halftime style feel, um, you could even possibly draw a reggae one-drop feel or influence out of this. And essentially what he's doing is he's playing these backbeats on count three, if you count it that way, uh, with a syncopated tom note that comes after the one-drop on the second measure of the groove. It's a real heavy kind of a feel that is a, a very unique, of course, to a moderate tempo ballad. So let's give a listen to Liberty DeVito on Billy Joel's Just the Way You Are. I would not leave you in times of trouble. We never could have come this far. I took the good times I'll take the bad times I take you just the way you are Don't go trying Some new fashion Don't change the color of your hair Unspoken passion 
All right, we have officially crossed into double-digit territory. We are on song number 10. We are still in the 70s. We're in the late 70s. As a matter of fact, we're in 1979, moving toward the end of the disco era. Although this song does certainly borrow from and use uh, some disco trademarks. Um, The song we're talking about is Shake Your Body Down to the Ground by the Jacksons. Uh, This song was uh, written by Randy Jackson and used the wonderful Ed Green on drums. Now, something that's kind of interesting about this is Ed Green, who is the studio drummer on this track, did not come up with this groove. The groove was actually conceived by the keyboardist Greg Fillengaines. And as a matter of fact, it was such a signature groove that Greg Fillengaines was giving a rhythmic arrangement credit on this recording. Uh, now, to talk about this groove, it is, again, a song that, that borrows from the disco uh, era to where you've got the solid one and three on the kick drum and then two and four on the snare drum. It's also got uh, some signature hi-hat openings, not the, the traditional offbeat and of one, and of two, and of three, and of four hi-hat openings, but it does have a couple of syncopated hi-hat, opening, hi-hat openings in there along with a series of syncopated tom hits throughout each bar 4-4. Four, four. It's, again, a very unique, very signature-sounding uh, type of groove that was come up with by a keyboard player. So let's go ahead and give a listen to a little bit of the Jackson's 1979 hit, Shake Your Body Down to the Ground. to firmly move into the 80s that was the decade of my childhood i was a child of the 80s so this song uh certainly speaks to me um it probably speaks to most people because it is a bona fide rock and roll anthem and the tune we're talking about is don't stop believing by journey with the incomparable steve smith on drums um Most of you guys probably already know a good bit about this song. There's plenty of videos out there of Steve demonstrating how to play this groove. And there's certainly several transcriptions out there as well. Um, It's my understanding that Steve created this groove while they were experimenting in the studio. Uh, Steve basically 
knew that the song was going to have a basis of the old four on the floor to straight ahead rock groove. But he decided that he wanted to do some things that were a little bit more adventurous and a little bit more interesting. And he would kind of build it throughout the song. So essentially what he did was he uh, approached this creative, um, this creative groove making by using an open-handed style of playing where the left hand was playing eighth notes on the hi-hat, the right hand was playing the snare drum, and then orchestrating different tom and cymbal hits in between two and four on the snare. Uh, You'll notice that throughout the song, Steve will build intensity as the song builds intensity by adding notes on the toms and the bell and voicing them throughout the drum set. A couple of other interesting things about this song, and it probably lends itself to the fact that Steve could actually do something different and create a signature groove on it, is that this song doesn't even have any drums until nearly a minute and a half into it, which that in itself is a little bit different when you consider that a lot of our signature grooves and definitive grooves actually start the songs, like course 50 ways to leave your lover and sing 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 wipe out and so on but this thing doesn't even have any drums till a minute and a half into it and then another thing that i think is very interesting about the composition of this song the chorus is never played until you get to the end well you seldom see that in any kind of a hit and of course this was a major hit so let's listen to steve smith play on don't stop believing that one play a little bit longer started it sort of in the middle so you could hear some of steve's different permutations as the song built which is actually the perfect segue for our next song because i'm going to have to do the same thing and in this case we actually have two for one you get to double your money double your pleasure on this one on this next song because it not only has one but two signature and definitive grooves 
So you're probably asking yourself, my gosh, what is this all about? Well, here's what it's all about. We are going to travel forward a couple of years to 1983 and back into the jazz fusion genre. Um, the group that we're going to talk about is actually, we're going to call them a fusion or jazz fusion supergroup. It is um, the band Steps Ahead, led by the vibist Mike Maneri. And the song is the 1983 release Pools that features Peter Erskine on drums. Now, some of our longtime listeners will recall that we talked about this song a good bit on uh, one of our shows where we finished out the show with our segment on underappreciated drum tracks. John called this one. It was a superb call because it, it absolutely is a tremendous drum track. Um, and definitely a signature groove. As a matter of fact, I mentioned before, there are two signature grooves on this. So let's talk a little bit about the song, and then we're going to talk about these, these two signature grooves. I mentioned that this was um, a bit of a super group. Uh, the members that you're going to hear on this track are Mike Brecker playing tenor saxophone, Eddie Gomez on bass, Elian Elias on piano, Erskine on drums, and of course the leader of the band, Mike Maneri, on vibes. Erskine uh, joined this group uh, right after a pretty long stint that he had with Weather Report, and he had quite a few great recordings with those guys um, that certainly helped him establish his career. Um, now, getting on to this song, this song... Um, as I mentioned before, has two signature grooves. The first groove, which is played at the intro of the song and during the melody, has got a very reggae-inspired one-drop style of groove where we have that bass drum coming in on count three. Erskine is playing these uh, syncopated comping snare drum accents. Notice I use that term comping, which we uh, think about and relate primarily to jazz drumming. He kind of tastefully places them throughout that one drop bass drum groove. And then the second part of the signature groove starts in the first, there's actually two sax solos on this song, and on the first sax solo on this groove, Erskine plays both hands on the rim of the snare drum. The left hand plays a traditional cross stick where he takes the stick, turns it around, puts the butt end of the stick across the rim of the drum. And the right hand plays on the snare rim as well, but he uses the bead end of the stick, playing it, we'll call it like a ride-style stick, to where this, the bead of the stick is facing or crossing the rim. Okay, The pattern that he plays on this is an offset eighth-note groove, where the left-hand cross stick is playing one and two, three and four, one and two, three and four, and the right hand is one eighth note later behind it, playing the and of one, two, the and of two, and then the and of three, four, and the and of four, and that creates that second part of the signature groove. So I'm going to play a little bit more of this song than I have some of the others so that you can hear these different signature grooves, and um, I'll kind of try to kind of crossfade those things in there together so we don't have to play the full like eight minutes of the song. So let's listen to Peter Erskine and Steps Ahead playing Pools. Mm-hmm. 
What a great song and just a signature, incredible, definitive groove by Peter Erskine. Um, as that song progresses, he moves into just a straight funk backbeat that grooves like crazy. So that entire song is absolutely worth a listen to and, of course, learning that groove. And for that much, that entire album is worth listening to. There's a song later on in that album that Erskine actually composed, which kind of set him up for his future career as a composer and band leader as well. All right, we are going to finish out this show with a final track from 1985. Um, It is a track that was originally programmed on an early Yamaha drum machine. And the song in question is The Sweetest Taboo by the artist Sade. Uh, The drummer is Dave Early. Here's a guy that doesn't necessarily uh, roll off of everyone's tongue. Uh, But then again, he was not directly responsible for this groove. He basically uh, copied this groove. So the production team that produced this album were the ones that actually came up with this groove. Uh, But it's my understanding that When the band got into the studio, um, they insisted that there be acoustic drums on the track as well. So ultimately, uh, it's a two-measure loop that the band played on, and Early's drums were mixed into the existing Yamaha drum machine loop. And what you're going to hear regarding the acoustic drum performance is essentially a pattern where the left hand is playing a cross stick. Uh, Of course, you have the bass drum pattern that is syncopated uh, against that cross stick sound. And the right hand comes across and plays uh, a few snare drum hits. The original programmed 
um, pattern does have some accessory percussion like a shaker or like a machine hat, but it is my understanding that the acoustic drums did not use that. The acoustic drum part was essentially just bass drum, cross stick, and snare drum. So let's listen now to our example with Dave Early playing The Sweetest Taboo. As you can tell, uh, this was a highly Latin-influenced groove, borrows a lot uh, from the Brazilian bossa nova, and then just uses some plain old R&B modern sensibilities to kind of modify it and turn it into what it is. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode. I gave you a little baker's dozen of signature and definitive grooves. Um, As I mentioned earlier in the show, remember, this is not a complete list. It's really just a start. Over time, I'm sure that I'll compile some other signature and definitive grooves and possibly do a second show. With that in mind, make sure that you interact with us. Send us some songs that you think fit this list. And remember what we're looking for is we're looking for these grooves that were created and that are exclusive to certain songs. Now, for example, again, something that is not necessarily a definitive and or signature groove is what you're hearing underneath this right now. Now, what I have playing underneath this is the incomparable Mike Clark with Herbie Hancock playing Palm Grease. Now, it's a great funky groove, but it's, for lack of a better term, just a funk groove that could work under a whole bunch of other different songs. What we're looking for are these songs like Shake Your Body Down to the Ground, Don't Stop Believing, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover Pools. These are signature grooves that work primarily just for those particular songs, okay? So, anyway, looking forward to hearing from everyone. Now, the biggest takeaway that I want everyone to have regarding this show is do some research and learn to play every one of these songs authentically learn these grooves the reason it's so important is because chances are if you're a working drummer you're going to have to play one if not all of these songs i have played every single one of these in a professional live performance setting some of these songs i'm still playing to this day and will probably play this week So learn how to play these things. It is very important. Even if you are not asked to play these exact songs, many of these grooves are referenced in regard to artists who are creating and writing different material that might say, hey, I kind of want a pools vibe on this. 
Or how about the Poinciana style groove? Or let's base something that's sort of like the sweetest taboo. Again, having this depth of knowledge on your instrument and of the history of what you're actually trying to create, it's absolutely invaluable. So there, I'm gonna step off my soapbox and let everyone get on with their lives. Now, before we go, please, Don't forget, stay in touch with us. Let us know if you've got some signature grooves that you want us to include in another episode. You can always contact us at our email address. It's drummersweeklygroovecast at gmail.com. You can also message us on Facebook or interact with us there. It's facebook.com forward slash drummersweeklygroovecast. And you can always tweet us in private messages at twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast. And one last thing, and I know our longtime listeners have heard this before, but if you haven't gone into iTunes yet to leave us a short review, please do so. Just the next time you're in iTunes, go over to the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast podcast page inside of iTunes and leave us a short written review. It really does help, and we appreciate it a whole, whole lot. Essentially, what that does is it relates our show to other shows that are similar to ours and then those listeners from the other shows can find us listen to us and then spread the love even further to Groovecast Nation with that in mind word of mouth doesn't hurt either tell your friends or that much tell your enemies tell everyone to listen to the show and spread love throughout the Groovecast Nation alright that's gonna do it for this week make sure you subscribe every Monday we have a brand new show And until then, do some homework, do some drumming anthropology, learn some definitive grooves and spread the knowledge and increase your musical depth. See you next week.